Let me pray for us as we dig into God's word. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful that you have, um, in your kindness and in your grace, you brought us in this room right now. We have some friends that are watching online. We're so glad they can tune in. And we just ask now for the next several moments, Lord, as we've uh, just been in this spirit of worship and acknowledging your greatness and who you are. Uh, God, the goodness that you show to each and every single one of us. Uh, Lord, now we want to look into your word and, and be fed. We, we need to be nurtured, uh, not just to get through the week, but to, to grow our relationship with you. And so, God, thank you for your word and what, what you have for us today. And uh, we just ask your blessing. In, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we are in our study in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we are in Nehemiah chapter, we're going to start in chapter 6, kind of finish up uh, where we were um, couple uh, last week. Uh, notes are available online, uh, whether you're in the room and want to tap in or if you're watching on at home, uh, but we have notes available for today's, uh, today's uh, t- sermon. Let me get my place here. Um, I've entitled this Driven by God's Word. That's a phrase we use here. It's on the sign right here. Number one, we are a what? Word driven. What that means for us is that we as a Bible church, we take God's Word whenever we gather and we open it and say, God, speak to us. Show us what you have for us. This was not just a, a history book for the ages past. Uh, it's not just some facts to kind of be ready for a test. This is uh, God's living Word. And so to be driven by that, to be uh, motivated and have it be the source of what what our walk with the Lord moves forward, uh, we're talking about that this morning in this story. Uh, We've been in a story now in in the book of Nehemiah. We did Ezra right before it uh, at the end of last year, and now we're working our way through Nehemiah. Um, Can you imagine if... And this is hard to picture, put ourselves there, but um, I mean, it's, what is this, 2022 already, right? Can you imagine not having the Bible available to you? Isn't that weird? Like, well, of course we can't imagine that. That's like saying we don't have shoes, right? Of course we've had shoes. We've had shoes for a long time. Imagine not having a copy of God's Word, whether it's in your lap right now, on your phone, uh, wherever you're reading along, Imagine what it's like to not have the Bible. Uh, we're going to see in our passage today uh, what I believe is, is just a strong encouragement uh, for people of God, people that know God, uh, the celebration of his word and how it, how it nurtures us and how it feeds us. Uh, so we've been in a study here in the book of Nehemiah uh, as we finished up chapter 6. Uh, was it just last week? Right? Was that where we were? There wasn't a guest last week, was there? Man, I feel like it's been a month ago. Have you had that kind of week, anybody, where it's like, when did we meet last? Right, so, so we, were, we, we were in Nehemiah 6 uh, last week, and as we, at, the, at the end of that uh, chapter, um, what, we, what we see, the, the wall was completed. You know? So Nehemiah is leading the people to, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, the, the exile is over. The 70 years... Uh, in Babylon captivity. The 70 years, we're going to call it of discipline from God to the nation 
is completed. And they, they've been coming back. Through Ezra and Nehemiah, there were three returns. This is the last one uh, when Nehemiah brought the last group back and their, their task was to rebuild the wall. And so we've been walking through that in the earlier chapters of this book. Um, we saw the enemies, those who last week, we talked about those that were opposed uh, to the work of God, uh, those that were against it, were now acknowledging something big is happening. They acknowledged the goodness and the greatness of God. Um, by, by the way, a, a, com- a comment on that as we finished chapter 6, towards the end of it. The enemy is only disheartened when God does the work. If the product of our efforts is ours alone, people just tend to laugh at Christians. Have you noticed that? When God's behind it, when it's God's work, people can't help but take notice. Um, And the enemy is disheartened. But we just like foolishly kind of dance through things saying, yeah, I'm serving God, but we're really not. Um, I think the enemy laughs. I think there's, the, the people here noticed. The enemies of the project noticed that God was doing something through the people. Um, in Nehemiah 6.19, it says, Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah uh, sent letters to make me afraid. So there was this ongoing pressure from the enemy, ongoing pressure from those who didn't want God's people to do this work that God had given them to do in rebuilding. Uh, we've already seen the temple rebuilt. We've seen the altar in place. And they've just now completed the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. Um, and so you see this, this sense as we finished up chapter 6, of standing true, staying with the task, not giving up, doing the work. Um, We notice it said in 52 days, they finished the wall. 52 days, which by the way, is a little disheartening when your church is building a property like we are. It's like 52 days, what's the problem, right? Uh, It takes a little while, so we're, we're not too far off track. A long way from 52 days, but not from the original plans, praise God. Um, these, these guys stay focused. They were focused on what God had called them to do. Um, we, we imagine sometimes them saying, um, you know, the, the work doesn't matter. The work isn't important. But yet there was this constant call to do exactly what God had called. And so we've worked our way up to now through six chapters um, and it just makes me wonder if, if sometimes um, you've ever been tempted to compromise for the sake of impressing someone else. Look at what we've done. Look at what I can do. The people of Israel now coming back after being gone for 70 years. Some of them coming back have never been, right? The next generation. And they're coming back. And what was the pride? What was the sense of what is God doing among us? What is God doing here? Um, we're going to look in verse in chapter 7, just briefly, uh, putting things kind of in place. Putting things in place. Um, as, as the wall is now completed in 52 days, we saw at the end of chapter 6. Um, in Nehemiah 7, verse 1, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, verse 2, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, they're quite a pair, right? Who was the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. Uh, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is high. 
hot, and while there are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. So the city is just now ready to be rebuilt. The wall is complete. And so uh, Nehemiah, who's the governor, now says, we're going to put some stuff in place. We're going to get things in order. And just to kind of get us into the context of what's happening, uh, they've been gone for an entire generation. Um, and so now the older ones that are back have memories, perhaps, of when they left. And not just the 70 years, but now it's been several years since these three waves of people have returned. Remember, Zerubbabel brought, Zerubbabel brought, that's good to say. You guys try it, I dare you, say Zerubbabel, and then the word brought right next to it. One, two, three. Yeah, see, it's not easy. Zerubbabel brought the first wave. You remember that? Uh, And and then Ezra brought the second group. And now uh, Nehemiah has brought this this third and final group and has led them in rebuilding the wall. The wall talks about their identity. It talks about their protection. It talks about them being an established people once again. So it's a big deal when you get to the end of chapter 6 and the wall is done. So in chapter 7, where Nehemiah takes us, uh, is right away he talks about um, the, the need, he'll get to in verses 5 on, the need for a census, the need for, okay, let's, let's see what we got going here. Everyone's here. The city's not large. It's not been rebuilt as a city. The wall's rebuilt. It's going to take a while for the population to grow. Um, and so they come back. And in, in we have the door, the gatekeepers, the singers. Uh, that it's possible that the Levites were singers. Did our Levites know that, by the way? The guys that serve us. If you don't know, the guys that set up a Sanaw every week and turn this into a house of God, we call them Levites. The Bible refers to them as singers. I'm just saying, you guys do with that what you want. Um, but they also were among those who led in worship, who brought people back. Um, and there was this, this, this confidence of what God was doing in the rebuilding of the city now. Um, so in verse, he's going to take a census. Uh, by the way, the timeline from Zerubbabel on through Ezra and now with Nehemiah, it's been 90 years. So it's not like the, uh, uh, the exile was over and everybody got on greyhounds and went across the desert and found themselves back in Back in Judah. No, this took a long time. Those three waves of people coming back. The things that took place. That's 90 years since it started. Isn't it amazing when you see the timeline of how Scripture puts these things together? So now they've been back uh, since Zerubbabel's first group. And, uh, and Nehemiah is going to lead them in verse number 5 in taking a census. And the reason for this was to identify, I think, the faithfulness of God. Who's in the room? What's God doing with those of us that are here? I think even as a church, it's good to say, hey, let's look around. We're members, we're a family, we're a part of something. There was value in them stopping and saying, hey, before we keep going, we got our walls, our identity, our, our, our military protection is, is somewhat in place. Let's identify who we are. Let's take a moment. And so he's going to lead them in a census, which essentially is what chapter 7 is all about. It's the listing of people. But before we skip seven to get to eight, which is where we're going to head today, in verse in chapter seven, you'll notice there's like how many? Uh, 73 verses. 
Yeah, that's a long chapter. What's, what's that all about? Why, why does scripture give us lists of names? Why, why, why take up the ink? Why take up the space on the page? So I don't want us to skip that. We're not going to dig into this and read it all. Um, I think it's because each of these people, each name and the group, the family they represented, each individual is important to God. You are important to God. You may be on a row all by yourself. You may be on a row with 15 other people. God knows you. You matter to God. And the reason that helps us, not just so we feel good about ourselves, if, if anything, it helps us realize we, we want to know and, and, and honor God, but it also lets me know how God sees other people. The person next to you, the people behind you, people in our church, in this one room that you've not yet met, perhaps some of you, everyone matters to God. He knows them. He created them. He loves them. So when we see a list of names, uh, I talked with one of the ladies in our church, and in her Bible reading, she doesn't skip the names. And I said, you know, pastorally speaking, let me just tell you, it's okay to skip the names. She says, no, I'm not going to skip the names, so in my face, right? So you read the names. So every one of these names matters, just like you matter. I can look at a congregation and say, yeah, there's X amount of people, and here's how it feels in the room. Each one of you is a part of this a part of this church. Each one of you matters to God. So let's not skip over names thinking they don't matter. They matter, you matter. And if you matter, guess what? The person in the row, three behind you or four over, they matter. The people of God, the gathering. So he mentions these names. He's going to give us a list and we're not going to go through all of them. But these are people, I think, uh, a couple noticeable things about them. They were people with a pioneer spirit. They were willing to endure hardship and discomfort because they had a call from God to return, to come back to Judah. Many of them, because it's been 70 years plus several years, many of them had never even been to Judah. They were born and raised in Babylon. They were, my parents came from, from, from the exile, but I've never been there. There would be many that perhaps would be like that. There's something about that call to go home. Life may have been easier in Babylon, but it was right in Jerusalem. Uh, statistics tell us that about 2% of the Jews who were carried away into exile by the, by the Babylonians came back. Isn't that interesting? Of all those that left 70 years earlier, about 2% of them came back. Um, the list, I think, as you read through this chapter, if you're a name reader, it's good practice. Uh, the list flows beautifully when you think about the completion of the work that's been done. So the work is done. The wall's built. And it's like, okay, all right, Nehemiah, you did your task. You're free to go. No, 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 he's not free to go. He says, you know what? Before we keep moving on, let's just stop and, and, and consider who's on the team. Who do we have here? Here's a lesson I get from chapter 7. The walls weren't all that important. They're walls. It is important, and they clearly had a purpose. But what was really important? What's important is the benefit the walls would have for the lives of each and every individual person. I think it's healthy for us to have that same mindset. Material things matter. I love this room. I love that we've met in this room, would you believe, 27, 28 years um, I'm thankful for physical stuff. We're obviously 
building uh, a property, developing it. It's been a blast to watch the process. Do you know that's not what it's all about? That's good, and we're all for it. What it's about is you and me and the people that God will bring, the people that fill some of the chairs around us from week to week. It's about the people. It's about the individuals. I love this. The building work wasn't all that important. What was important was the benefit the building work had in the lives of God's people. We have an identity. The walls established. We're, we're, we're a people that have now protection, identity. And I think it mattered. So it wasn't like inconsequential. It wasn't ins- insufficient. It just wasn't the most important thing. And I think that's a great tip for me, for you. We're all about, let's, let's get our property developed. Let's move into an auditorium. Let's begin to minister with more opportunities, a lot more freedom. Can't wait. Just know it's not about the property. It's not about the building. Though we're excited about it, and we're all pitching in, we're going to help make it happen, we're trusting God for great things. It's about, everyone look at the person right next to you, look in their eyeballs. Awkward, isn't it? Look in their eyeballs. It's about that person. And it's about you. (laughs) And I won't, I, I could say look at an empty chair, and it's about that chair. It's about the people that need to be in that chair, and that they're going to come and join us in our chairs. So the building is awesome. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. I'm loving seeing our church go through this process. But I think one thing I get out of chapter 7, it's always about the people. Say that with me. It's always about, say it like you might believe it. It's always, property is great, resources are great, tables, chairs, all the stuff. (laughs) It's about the people. Uh, You get to the end of chapter 7. So the priests, the Levites, verse 73, uh, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. They're settled. We're home. The captivity's over. Everybody's back where they belong. The wall's been built. And there's a sense of we're at peace. Uh, The the walls are done. The doors and the gates. Chapter 8 and verse number 1. Chapter 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now we get into the bulk of what this passage is about and what we want to talk about today. And that is, now that the walls established, our identities is intact, and we're reminded of who we are as God's people, the first thing they do Someone get Ezra on the phone. You guys remember Ezra? Ezra, our study in the fall, the end of, end of last year. Uh, Ezra wasn't a prophet. Uh, Ezra may not have even been, you know, super popular or a big time speaker. Uh, Ezra was a priest. Ezra was one who knew the word and led the people to know the word. Um, he's, he, he wrote the book of Ezra. Some think he might have actually written the words of Nehemiah in this book. Um, probably wrote Second Chronicles, which is, ties in all this together. So you get to Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. That's the end of the Old Testament history. From Nehemiah, we jump to Matthew. Did you know that? Um, so chronologically, it's laid out different in the books. But the actual history is Nehemiah is now the end of the Old Testament era. And so the, the, we, we as a people have, our, have the walls of Jerusalem back where they, where, where they belong. The gates are in place. The doors are hung. 
And now they gather as one, and they go to the Watergate, right? We all know Watergate. So who was there besides Nixon? I'm sorry. So they gather the people. There's a lot of gates around it. Some of you are like, Nixon, what's that? Is that a word? So the, all the gates are in place, and they come before the one, and they gather in like an open square. It'd be like all of us saying, hey, let's all meet at Bushmaster Park this afternoon, or let's go over here. And so they all gathered as one, it said, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. What's the book of the law? Yeah, it's the Bible. I love it. Someone pointed to their phone. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's the, it's the Bible, right? All they had, their Bible was the law of Moses. They didn't have the rest of the Old Testament. They certainly didn't have the New Testament. Guess what you and I have in our laps or on our phones or our tablets? We have the whole enchilada. We have the whole thing right here. They gathered together and someone said, hey, find Ezra and tell him to bring the scrolls. Bring the law of Moses. As we get to the heart of this text in chapter 8, let me just remind you of the big scene. What's going on here? Remember, God had punished Israel. This 70 year of captivity was discipline upon Israel for their rejection of God, their rejection of his word. This wasn't a good thing. God used it, as he always does, but it wasn't like, hey, man, we're, we're in captivity. How's things going? No, life was pretty rotten for them. But now they've come back. The discipline is over. The 70 years in exile is completed. They've returned because God had told them he would bring them back. But in doing so, don't forget this, God establishes a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant. A covenant where God makes a pact with his people, listen, based on him. It's not about you. It's not about, man, if, you're, if, you're, if you play fair, I got this thing for you. A covenant is God saying, here's what I'm going to do based on who I am. It's beautiful. The new covenant comes, uh, this, this uh, won't be on the screen, but if you have notes online, it's there. Jeremiah 31, let me just read this for you. This is a new covenant that God makes with his people, and he promises them in Jeremiah, when you return to the land, I'm doing a new work. And now they're back. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's the last exodus was out of Egypt. This exodus is out of Babylon. And it's not like that one. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So they, they abolished, they broke that covenant, the law, in other words. He continues, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Say within. So without, within. This law that I have, I will give to them. I'll put it within them, he says. Um, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's called the new covenant in Jeremiah, pivotal teaching in all of, his, in all of, of Bible history. So God says, the old covenant I made with Moses, that's legit. That stands, that's a for real thing. Now I'm saying to you, I'm gonna give you a new covenant. 
And where this is going to lead us is the coming of Jesus the Messiah. The ultimate covenant is fulfilled when, after Christ returns, which he hasn't done yet. So we're like living. This is all moving with us. This is not just history lesson. What happened back then, and by the way, this is like 24, 2,500 years ago. He is saying, what's going to happen now, you're going to see my spirit be upon people. He's going to live within them. Everybody say these three words. I love them. Christ in us. Fulfillment of the new covenant. You don't have to say that, but that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to say that, but that's cool. You see what I'm saying? It's like what he's doing is now we know God. We don't go somewhere to find God. You don't wait for me or the priest or someone to come to your house and bring you God. He is with us. We can know him. He's within our hearts because of Jesus. Because Jesus went to a cross. Because Jesus took my sin, my filth, my rebellion. He took that and that wrath that God would see and Jesus covered it with his blood. He paid the price for my sin so that I can know God. This is the fulfillment of the new covenant. I'm gonna put it in their hearts. It's a, it's a very internal, personal thing that God has done for us. And so it's not done yet. It's going to be, as he says towards the end of that in, chat, in verses 33 and 34, um, no longer you know, we'll be dependent on others. We'll be directly with the Lord, and we see that in the future. But let me keep moving. I don't want to get too distracted. This is, but it's really exciting to me. So you have the new covenant. God promised this new covenant with spiritual, divine, dynamic, which by those who know him would participate in the blessings of salvation. You can know God today. I'm sorry, but that still needs to blow our mind. You can know the God of creation who made everything, who made the stuff that we have yet to see through telescopes, who knows the number of sand, pieces, rocks, whatever it's called. He knows that. He knows the numbers of the hair on your head. You can mock my head, but you can't count these little ones that are left. I guarantee it, right? He knows all that. He's God, and that God knows us, and he's in our heart. We can have a relationship with him. That's the new covenant. I will put it on their hearts. What a beautiful teaching this is to think about what God has done now that he's regathered the people. And he's, he promised them in Jeremiah as they were getting ready to come back. I'm going to do this new thing in you, so, so get ready. Jesus references in Luke 22, verse 20, he said, and likewise the cup, after they had eaten, talking about the Lord's Supper, communion, he said, uh, after they had eaten, saying, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in or by or through my blood. Because Jesus died on the cross, his blood covers my sin. It can cover your sin if it hasn't already. That blood covers my sin so now I can be one with the God who knows the number of sand particles on the planet. And the God who knows the stars and the ends of the universe. The God who knows time, who lives beyond time, who's already well aware of your Monday. That God I can know because of what Jesus did for us. So this is the beauty of the new covenant. Here's why I say that. Nehemiah chapter 8 and really 9 and 10 resembles a covenant renewal between Israel and God. We're home now. We're back home. 
There's a handful of people that think when we as a church finally get into our own building, our own property, wow, it's all just going to be magical. It's going to be, you know, it's all going to come together and we're going to finally, yeah, there's going to be some great stuff. And I can't wait for so many of those things. This is different. This is God bringing his people to a place that he designed for them that he called them to be a part of. I think that speaks of my relationship with God. God created me to know me. And by the way, I think that statement is true of everybody you know. Lost, heathen, church, unchurch, a pain, whatever they are. I think God created us to know us. And because of Jesus, we can now be in relationship with God. This new covenant, this language of something in your heart, something that's going to take place inside. So Nehemiah 8, where we find ourselves and what we're going to see happen, the reading of God's uh, word, I think all speaks to this renewal of a covenant. This renewal of, you. we're, we're together, right guys? That's what he's saying. Um, so by way of big picture. So that's what's happening. You, you've, got the, you've got the new covenant, but also you've got this, this little truth that we often forget. Uh, this right here, they didn't have this. Like no one did. They didn't, I'm not just talking about the New Testament and the rest of the Old Testament. Let's go right here to Deuteronomy. Yeah. So the first five books, they didn't have a copy of this in their lap. They, they didn't have access to this. The average uh, God-fearing Jewish person, they didn't know what, the, man, I can hold on to this? Are you telling me that I can take this and I can go home with it? Are you kidding me? God's word. God's living, breathing word. Not just a history book. So you're telling me I can take this home and check this. I have access to read it whenever I want. See how far removed we are? Don't forget the context of Scripture. It makes, it makes all the difference. So Nehemiah gathers the people. They call for Ezra, the priest, the guy who wrote the earlier book and might be writing now. And what Ezra is going to do now is he's going to open the book. He's going to open the law. Not only did they not have a copy of it in their laps or on their tablets or their phone, I would be embarrassed to tell you how many copies of God's word I have access to in my library, at home, on this one device. Um, so they gather. Moses had told them. Uh, Moses had said back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, he had commanded that the law be read to, to Israel every seventh year during the festival of tabernacles. What? So they would gather. The, fe the festival of tabernacles was a time that celebrated what God did for them in the Exodus. Think of tabernacle as a tent, as a temporary dwelling place. And so to remember what God did in the Exodus, they would have a week-long celebration of, remember that time when God took our people, our grandparents, our great-great-grandparents out of Egypt, and we as a people have been restored? Remember that event? During that time, God uh, provided for us the whole 40 years. And they would celebrate by having what's called a feast uh, or a season, a week of a tabernacle, a tents. When we were in Israel a few years ago, uh, it was during that we were starting to see, they were putting some things up. We saw people with these temporary housing. So it'd be like, picture, picture, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, like the, what's, what's the sale downtown where they sell stuff? 
Farmer's market, thank you. Yeah, yeah so a flea market or farmer's market, whatever it is where you like, you set up your tent, your white tent with the poles and, and you sell your honey or whatever. Imagine that and you're gonna camp in that for the week. That's what it would look like. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, dwelling places, tents. Everybody grab your tent. We're all gonna meet on the football field for a week. Why? To remember that there was a season when that's how we lived. So they did that every year um, in their history except there had been a long time during this, during this exile. Um, so now, so now they've, they've, they've gathered, and in Deuteronomy, when Moses, during that time, said, uh, you will hear, we will do the reading of the word. I, this is so bizarre to me. I want you guys to catch the sense of it. It'd be like right now I said to you, here's what we're going to do today. You guys think we're going to lunch. We're all going to stand, and I'm going to read Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Right? What would the response be from someone give me a groan? Someone give me a oh. <laughs> no one walk out, please. But you'd be like, what are, what are you doing? Don't what are you doing? You're such a dork. Why would you do that to us? We we don't have time for that. And I'm not saying that to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just saying this is a reality. Once every seven years, the nation would gather and they would open the scrolls and they would say, in the beginning, God. And you know what the people did? They stood the whole time. Stood for the whole time. Not because they're super saints. Man, you're a really good Christian. You're a really good, awesome person of God because you could stand for however long that took. No, it's like, we get to hear God's word. Remember, this isn't in their lap. There's no iPad, there's no phone, there's no text. We, we get to hear God speak to us right now? Yeah, yeah, I'll stand for that. So Moses said in Deuteronomy, do that every seven years. Which, by the way, that blows me away. Like, why wouldn't it be every week, but, or every month, or every year? But every seven years, make sure you at least do that formally. Just imagine the thirst of the people for God's word. Imagine the thirst Psalm 42.1 says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. As the deer finds itself along the side of a brook and just longs for that water, the, the psalmist says, soul, my soul, God, longs for you. I want to know you. I'm thirsty. Psalm 119, um, 105, your word, your word, God, this word, it's a lamp to my feet. It's a light from my path. It's, it's the direction I need, not just for a Sunday gathering, but for Monday at work and for Tuesday traffic and for Wednesday court and for Thursday rebellious kid. Lord, I need your word to guide me. Think of the hunger and the thirst they had. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. I love this verse, by the way. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You know what he said? How I love your law. He didn't say how I love those parts of Scripture that make me feel good. There's nothing about a law that makes you feel good, right? There's nothing about the laws of our land. It's like, man, I just love the fact that I have to drive 35 miles an hour here, which no one's ever done, by the way. I just love the fact that someone, you know, we don't, we don't find delight in law. Why would he say that? Because God has spoken. And he doesn't stutter. And what he's given us, he's given us for us to read. It's like a letter that God said, Dear Toad, and starts writing. Dear Toad, who starts a letter like that? Well, God does when he's talking to Toad, right? Um, Dear Aaron, 
dear all of us. He's spoken to us. He spoke to you. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for Monday. Let's go. It's right here. So this love of God's word, this idea, when we say word driven, this isn't just a Bible study so we can know the history and, and get our doctrines lined up in the right order. This is about knowing God because he has spoken to us. Well, it didn't go like I planned. We're uh, in verse two. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna go for a little bit and I'll stop in a minute. So just, it, we'll finish next week. But let me keep going for just a minute here. So verse two, so Ezra the high priest brought the law before the assembly. That's cool. This is, this is a neat passage. Just, just, just picture this. No one has a Bible. Everybody say no one has a Bible. Most of them wouldn't know how to read if they had one. I might be saying they're illiterate. I'm just saying it wasn't the normal thing. You, you guys understand this is 2,500 years ago. This is a, a time when things were so different for us. So they didn't have it. They wouldn't know how to read some of them. And so now Ezra, the priest, brought the law. He walks up before the crowd with the law, before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, which is going to be important in a little bit. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. What do you think that is, early morning till midday? What's your guess? How many hours? Six. Wow, six. All right. Everybody good with that? Okay. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not standing for six hours. So for six hours, I would say anywhere from four to six hours easily, uh, they stood. In the morning, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. The guy reading the book of the law didn't have to put up slides or use cartoons or dress funny or clap his hands. Okay, stay with me, people. There was none of that. And I'm not ragging on us. I'm just saying there was no sense of entertainment. There was no video diet that said, man, can you make the lights flash and do a lot of stuff to keep my attention? Zero of that. They stood. And for however many hours, he reads the Old Testament, like the law. Thou shalt, and Leviticus, flour and grain, and this and that. And they're like standing. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood these people, a bunch of cool names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. As he opened it, the people stood. All right, just because we're reading it, you guys know I have to do this, right? So, I'm Ezra, wooden platform, I open it, and you all, you don't say the word stand, you stand. Here we go. Ezra opens the book, and you all, man, some of you are slow. I'm waiting for him. Okay, it is, a pastor, by the way, should never draw attention to the time, but I'm going to wrap it up early today, or earlier. It's 11.15 right now. What if I started in Genesis 1.1 and said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? You would all be like, I'm good with that, that's cool. And then, and then, <laughs> and then pretty soon I'm saying... Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests of Aaron and say to them, no one shall make myself unclean for the dead among his... What? Wait, what? You see what I'm saying? They were so, listen, 
hungry for God's word. This, this Nehemiah 8 is a big deal. They stood as he read the entire morning. Now there's an end to it. I don't know that he finished the five books. I don't know what he did. But at some point, we're done for now and we'll continue. Stay standing, by the way. I'm, I'm not going to torture you, but I want you to get a sense of this. So Ezra opens the book and all the people, and they stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, Yahweh, says the name. And Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God. And the people answered, amen and amen. So, God, so Ezra's saying, man, God has spoken to us today. Now, there were two of them. That's good. You guys are pretty above average. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That's like one sentence. Let me read that again, because you got to do this. So Ezra says, he blessed the great God. And all the people said, and then they, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces. Anybody get a chill? Why? Because church was cool that day? Because Ezra was wearing tight jeans and a scarf? No. <laughs> that was it. That was it. For hours. And when he got done for whatever the time was, he blessed the Lord. And they said, Amen. hands up, head down. All right. Stay standing. Worship team, come on up. Um, this sermon has a part two next week. Um, can we just for a moment, can we just for a moment thank God that he's given us his word? And as we thank God that he's given us his word, maybe you need to slip in there a little tiny grace-filled confession that says, dear God, forgive me for not caring. Forgive me, maybe, Lord, for forgetting. Just to say, I have this. I have this. Copies of it. Access to it. God has spoken God has spoken because God loves us. God has spoken because there's, a, there's, there's knowledge he wants you to know about him and his direction and where he's leading us. Stay standing. We're going to sing in a moment, but I have to get to a punchline that comes later in the sermon. You'll hear it next week, but I got to get there. Just hang on because this was too good. Oh, man, am I going to find it? Um, I won't find it. I'm scrolling. The wall mattered, right? The building. What, we're, what you saw on the screen, the pictures of the building, that matters. The fact that we've had this amazing auditorium, like clearly the best auditorium in Flagstaff has been ours for 27 years. I think all this matters. The wall mattered. It was important. It was a job. They worked hard. They did their thing. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about the wall. Grace Community is on, a, on, a, on an endeavor here to, 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 to build this campus, to have a, pro, you know, a project. We're, we're giving our money towards it. We're going to do next week the commitment thing. Um, it's not about the building. And I'm saying that. I'm leading you with that. That really matters, and I'm super excited about it. It's not about that. What's it about, everybody? People. All kinds of people. 
You, your friend, your neighbor, your kiddos, the people downtown right now that don't even know we're here, the people moving in next door to the church, (laughs) don't even realize yet what's about to happen for them. It's about people. It's always been about people. So God calls us to this great thing of engaging with him on this mission. It starts with us. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for the cross. And now, Lord, I take what you've given me and I bring it before you. We have his word. Um, I'm begging you, man, just latch onto that. Hang on to it. Read the words. Do the work. Uh, listen to it. Whatever helps you. Let me pray for us and then we're going to we're gonna do a song. God, uh, I did not plan to only get halfway through this passage or this message, but God, the, the word of God that we can be a people driven by the word, not, not just in an academic, get it all right, but Lord, a word that says you have spoken to us, that your grace reaches down and connects with us and you teach us about who you are and you invite us to know you. You invite us to live for this. So God, thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray, I pray even as we talk about next week and as a church saying, yeah, we're all in and we want to continue what we said we would do and or things have changed. And so here's some changes. God, whatever that is, we look to you to provide what we need. Uh, when they had that wall finished, the first thing they did was honor you. Uh, we're honoring you today and every day. And there will be a day, God, when I know you're going to put us in a new physical place and we'll do the same thing there. We'll honor you. So, God, I pray your blessing on your people this week. I pray your blessing on where you're leading us and the things that you've called us to. Uh, Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.